This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Matthew chapter number 11. We're going to start in verse number, let's see here, let's start in verse number 20, uh, and we'll go through the uh, end of the, uh, uh, the uh, chapter there. I think this slide, I, of course, I can't blame it on anybody, I made the slides. It says it goes through verse 31. There's no verse 31, uh, so <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, it's been a long week. So uh, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start in verse number 20. In case you were looking at your Bible, go, I'm missing a verse somewhere. You're not. Um, Matthew chapter number 11, we'll start in verse uh, number 20. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context before we jump into verse number 20, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Jesus has gone through multiple cities and he's done incredibly awesome things. He's done miracles, he's, uh, he went to a wedding, he turned water into wine, he's taken blind guys and making them see, he's taken people who are deaf, don't even have holes in their ears and making them hear for the first time. Uh, there's people who haven't been able to walk that are able to stand up and take off running for the first time ever. There's people that have had leprosy and Jesus heals them uh, from an incurable disease. And Jesus has done a lot of really good stuff, but, but it's important to understand this. When Jesus does something, he always does it for a reason. That's really important. And the reason that Jesus did these mighty works was to draw people to him in faith and repentance. That was the reason behind it. Jesus doesn't just do good stuff for the sake of doing good stuff. He always does good stuff to draw you to him. And so when we take a look, starting in verse number 20 here, he's going to name off some cities that he's been to that he did a lot of really good stuff, but they didn't follow him. They didn't change their ways. They didn't, here's a good Bible word for you, repent of what they were doing. And because of that, he's just like, hey guys, you didn't obey, you didn't listen, and judgment is coming for you as a result of that. So uh, starting verse number 20, it says he began to upbraid. That word upbraid means to scold, to scorn, or to rebuke. Verse number 20, then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. So you say, hey, if I'd done these in other cities, they would have repented in a split second, but you didn't. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And now Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, hath revealed them unto babes. Uh, verse number 25 is a really encouraging verse because Jesus isn't looking for super smart people that have it all together, that know the Bible really well to reveal himself. It says he reveals himself unto the lowest common denominator, babes. And if you consider yourself a, a, a slow on the uptake like myself, you can take great hope in the fact that Jesus isn't looking for super smart or well-qualified people. He's just looking for someone who would listen verse 26 even so father for it seemed good in thy sight all things are delivered unto me of the father and no man knoweth the son but the father neither knoweth any man the father save the son and to whom he the son to he whomsoever the son will reveal him so jesus is saying i have all power i have all authority this is important because jesus is god we call this the deity of christ and the fact that jesus christ is god he wasn't just part God or kind of God. Jesus Christ was God and he says, all authority, all power is given to me by the Father and you wouldn't know who the Father was, God the Father, if you didn't know the Son and you wouldn't know God the, the Son if you didn't know God the Father. Verse 28 and 29, you should circle these, you should star these, if you're using an app on your mobile device, highlight these in the app that you're using. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you, but these last 18 months have been kind of heavy for everybody, I think. I don't think anybody has come through this, uh, come out smelling like a rose. I think all of us have dealt with uh, difficulties and frustrations and uh, anxiety and worry and just sometimes just being flat out just tired and needing to, to get some rest, no doubt about it. 
Uh, my uh, uh, four-year-old daughter, Tallulah, uh, please don't tell her that she's four years old because she doesn't know yet. Um, I'm being serious. Because try to, try to reason with a toddler that your birthday and your birthday party can be separate events. They don't have to be together. And let me just tell you, you won't win that conversation. So we just have told her, hey, you're still three. She's four. Uh, but her birthday party is later this month, and so she'll be four then, I suppose. But uh, anyways, uh, she, she's four and uh, I think this was probably Wednesday or Thursday night this past week. Uh, we have a baby monitor in her room. If something happens in the middle of the night, she can get a hold of us and stuff like that because so, we can't hear where we're at from her room. And so at like 3 o'clock in the morning, she was like, can somebody get me some chocolate milk? And it's just like, oh, my soul. <laughs> and so it's like, I got this. And so I get up, go to the fridge, make chocolate milk, give the girls chocolate milk, and uh, tell her goodnight, and I go back to bed. And then, but she's not tired and so I said, it's okay, just lay here until you fall asleep, you'll be okay. And she said, okay. So then she starts singing. And, and she doesn't know a lot of songs, uh, so she starts making up a song that she sings. And she sings a, a song about our dog. We have a, a dog named Roxy, who's a Maltese, who's the size of a really small cat. Uh, I know you probably just lost all respect that you have for me, that your pastor doesn't have like a Rottweiler or a Pitbull or a Great Dane. I have the a small girl dog is what I have. Uh, and so she was singing a song about Roxy. And the song went like this. Roxy loves dad. Roxy loves mom. Roxy loves stature. Roxy loves Vanderlei. Roxy loves McKeeley. But Roxy doesn't love me. I try to pet her, and she growls at me. <laughs> I think she wants to bite me. She loves everybody but me. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. And then comes, my heart is breaking. <laughs> oh my. It's breaking into a million pieces. It hurts so bad. And I'm just like, oh my, like, I'm feeling bad at this point. And like, and of course, I can't just go back to sleep and sleep through that. And, and then, it, and then the, the culmination, the end of the song, the, the big crescendo at the end was, it hurts very, 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 very much. My heart is broken. So I get up out of the bed, walk back to her room. Hey, sweetheart, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> okay, your song is keeping daddy asleep, so can you sing it to me tomorrow? She goes, okay. And I said, daddy loves you. She's like, I love you too. I was like, hey, you know who else loves you? Roxy loves you. She goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so that was my, my Thursday, Thursday morning or something like that. It, was, it just all runs together at this point, but... I thought to myself, like, what kind of four-year-old makes up a song in the middle of the night about how their dog doesn't love them? Uh, like, I, I think my wife is listening to country music in the car with her or something. I don't know, uh, because that's just too sad of a song, you know? Uh, but anyways, um, while that's funny, I, I read an article the other day that said that uh, over the last 18 months that one in four children have shown signs of clinical depression. That hurts my heart. 25% of children are struggling with like clinical depression, not just being sad, but like really. But here's the thing. What does it look like in adults? Well, we don't know because adults aren't as honest as kids are. But I think if we were honest this morning, I'd say most of us are probably struggling in one area or another or have been struggling and not the too distant past. So how do we process that? How do we deal with the problems that we deal with? Because here's the fact of the matter. Life is hard. There's no way to get around that whatsoever. Uh, life is difficult, regardless of who you are, where you are, what you got going on, how much money you have, how much money you don't. Life is just hard. And as a parent, if you have children, you get the opportunity to tell your kids things like, well, life's hard sometimes. Or my favorite phrase that I promised I would never say to my kids. When my kids say, well, dad, that's just not fair. Dads get to say what? Thank you, son. Right? This kid's got a good dad right there. Son, life isn't fair. And if somebody told you that life was fair, you've been greatly misled because life isn't fair. And then we get to tell our kids all these stories of the past of how life just did us wrong and how life wasn't fair. That's part of being a grown-up. You get to do the things you said you would never do, right? But here's the thing. Life's not fair and life's not hard. I'm sorry, life is hard. Life's not easy. Everybody's like, wait a minute. I'm thoroughly confused. I'm confused too. It's okay. 
life's just hard sometimes. And it doesn't matter whether you try to do things the right way or the wrong way. Life's just hard, simple as that. And, and one of the things that I have in me in a deep hatred in the depths of my soul, and, and yes, I know that hate's a strong word, but the idea that following Jesus makes your problems disappear, that's just not a biblical idea. You decide to follow Jesus, life's going to be hard, guaranteed. The Bible tells us that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Life's going to be hard whether you walk with Jesus or don't. But let me just tell you this. I've walked the journey without Jesus and with him, with him, five stars every single time. Without him, like zero stars if I could, right? Because that's the way God designed it. But here's the thing. When life comes at us and life gets hard, sometimes life gets even harder. And the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, that the sun shines on the good and the evil, and the rain comes on the just and the unjust. So again, the idea that I'm going to follow Jesus and all my problems just poof, disappear, and it's just smooth sailing for the rest of my life isn't a biblical idea. And when people get the idea that Jesus makes their problems poof, go away, and then they still have problems, they think to themselves, either I'm broken or Jesus is broken, but this just isn't working. And so it's important that you and I have a biblical understanding of our circumstances and we realize life is just hard sometimes. So how do we get through it? Well, we can self-medicate if we want to do that. We often have ways of doing that. Even Christians have a way of self-medicating. We check out and watch uh, way too much Netflix. We watch way too much TV. We get involved in stuff on the internet that we shouldn't get involved with. We dive into the world of social media and we begin to criticize what everybody else is doing, what they got going on. We get into the arguments on the internet with strangers in the comment sections on posts. Please don't do that. And if you're doing it, stop. It makes Jesus look bad. Just don't do it. We self-medicate sometimes just by escapism. Maybe you think like, hey, I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to get away for a few days and all my problems will go away. Uh, look, your problems are going to be waiting for you when you get back. Guaranteed. Sometimes people self-medicate with alcohol. I just need a couple of beers after work to just kind of unwind and let my, let my nerves go and just settle down a little bit. And you think that that's going to help you. And while it might provide some measure of temporary relief, the end result is not good for you. And I would highly recommend against that. Sometimes people try to find peace at the bottom of a bottle of pills. Hey, if I take this medication, man, I'm going to be able to have that peace that I'm looking for. And let me just tell you this, self-medication never works ever, ever, ever. Sometimes people think uh, materialism and getting stuff and look, hey, look, my, my dresser is full of workout shorts that I bought because I just needed to buy something to make myself feel better, right? I'm going to get a new pair of socks. My wife is like, you have 12 pairs of socks. I know, but I need more. Just the thought that, hey, if I just buy this, I'll, I'll feel better for a minute, but then it doesn't work. So we self-medicate and that doesn't work. So what do we do? Where do we turn? How do we find peace for our souls. People think sometimes that the relationship aspect of their life is what's missing. Uh, I'll never forget, Angela, and I were talking to a, a single young lady one time, and she says, I just feel like if I could get married, all of my problems would go away. <laughs> and all the married people are like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> right? And I, we tried to explain to her, excuse me, <laughs> You are marrying a sinner. Two sinners come into a marriage with two sets of problems. How many sets of problems do you have? You would think two, but no, they multiply exponentially. It's more problems than you started with. And so, but, and I'm not anti-marriage. I'm 100% for marriage. Like if I had met my wife and knew how good marriage was, I would have gotten married when I was like 10. Like best thing I've ever done in my life, right? So I'm not anti-marriage, but if you think that being married will solve what ails your soul, you're mistaken. I know married couples that think to themselves, oh, if we could just have a child, and we've been trying for so long to, to have a child, if we could just have a kid, a kid would fix all of our problems that we have. It doesn't fix anything that's broken inside of you because what's broken is inside of you. And so whatever you're chasing after that you think is what you need to get through what you're going through, you're just looking in the wrong place. And unfortunately for many people, they'll spend so much time following after what they think is a solution only to find out in the end it never was a solution to begin with. And so we got to come back and say, okay, where do we find the cure for what ails us? Here's what Jesus offers. Jesus offers an invitation to everybody who's gone through it and is tired. Take a look at uh, verse number 28 in our passage, come to, unto me, all ye that labor 
and are heavy laden. That word labor means that people who have been at it for an extended period of time, one who toils or works for a long time without a break is what, what that word means, those who are weary. It's also the same word that's used typically for someone who is on an extended journey or travel. I don't know if you've ever traveled before, you bounce back and forth from hotel to hotel and you try to sleep on the plane and you can't get comfortable and stuff like that. And you get home and you lay down in your bed. It's nothing special. It's not a Sealy Posturepedic that you spent $5,000 on, but it's yours and you lay down and you're just like, oh, to be in my own bed again, you know? What a relief. That's the idea of those that are weary those that are, are just bouncing back and forth and can't find a good place to rest. And I don't know about you, but I am exhausted from the last 18 months. They come up with new phrases every day for the things that ail us, uh, which shouldn't surprise us, but there's actually a thing called COVID fatigue. People are just tired of COVID, right? Not that they've had COVID in their fatigue. I think there's a different term for that. The people are just tired of the whole thing that's going on. I'm tired of wearing a mask. I'm tired of telling people to do this. Tired of people telling me to do that. Tired of trying to figure out all the rules and regulations before I can actually go where I want to go to see if I can do what I want to do. Like I'm in America, I should just be free. I'm just over all of this. Now, mind you, I'm not minimizing the fact that this is a serious deal that people are dying from. I'm talking about the feeling of just being 100% over it. That's the idea. Jesus says, oh, I've got a fix for that. I got you. I'll take care of that for you. All those that are weary, I don't know about you, but sometimes life just comes at you and you just get tired in the fight. And you're just like, I just want to go to bed and hopefully tomorrow will be better. And then sometimes we wake up and we were just being dramatic the night before. <laughs> that happens to me. And then some days you wake up and you're like, things aren't better, things are worse. And Jesus says, I got you. Jesus also sends an invitation to all who are carrying a heavy load. All those that are weary and are heavy laden. The idea is that it's one who has stacked up all of their things on them and are carrying them from one destination to another. You think of how that in biblical times they would load up a camel or a donkey and they place all their belongings, try to strap everything on there and, and drive. That's the idea of being heavy laden. I don't know about you that have carried burdens, but this isn't the idea of I've got one thing that I'm struggling with. This is the idea of it just keeps piling on and I can't seem to get any relief. I can't seem to, to get any rest. I can't seem to let go of what's on me. It just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier as the day goes on. If you're like me, there's been times where you thought to yourself, this absolutely could not get any worse whatsoever. And then the next day, it gets worse. And you're like, didn't see that coming. That's heavy laden. Like, it just keeps piling on, up and up and up and up and up. And so Jesus gives us the opportunity to say, hey, I'll handle this for you if you'll let me. But notice I use the word here intentionally, the word invitation. Because if you've ever received an invitation, whether it's to a wedding reception or a birthday party or something like that, and there's a thing at the bottom that says RSVP by a certain date, and sometimes people put a little card in there to say, yes, I'm coming, no, I'm not. If you have an invitation, it's not a mandate. You're not required to do anything. It's an invitation. If you want to come, you can. If not, no sweat. That's the idea behind the invitation that Jesus brings. If you want to continue to be exhausted, go for it. You, you're welcome to do that. You want to continue to carry your burden on your own? You're more than welcome to do that. But Jesus is saying to you today, you don't have to do that. I got this. If you're willing to allow me to shoulder this burden with you. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse number 37, in the last day in the great feast, Jesus stood and cried and said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Jesus says, you're thirsty? I got something you can drink. Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter four, hey, lady, I got a drink. The water that I offer you, you can drink it and you'll never be thirsty again for the rest of your life. <laughs> She's like, let me have it because I'm tired of coming to draw water every day, that's for sure. But he was saying, I'm gonna give you something that your heart craves that once I can meet that need, you'll never crave it again. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse number 37, 
And all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Here's the thing. Jesus offers an invitation to bear the load for anybody that would come to him. And we sometimes think to ourselves, well, uh, I don't think that applies to me because I've done a lot of terrible stuff or I've ran from God for so long or I don't even really know how to give God my burden. I don't even really know what it means to walk with Jesus. And please understand, attending church and walking with Jesus are two different things. They're not the same because being a part of a church family should be part of your walk with Jesus, but it's not the same thing as like I attend church once a week. That's not walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus is every single day with him. And so the idea of this is that Jesus says, hey, I'm willing to carry your burden. Anybody that comes to me, I'm not going to turn anybody away. Everyone can receive help here. And here's what Jesus offers to do. If you notice in this passage here, Jesus never says, I'm going to make your problems go away. Because again, that's not a biblical idea. You can read the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, and nowhere is there a promise that when you become a Christian or when you follow Jesus, that all of your problems go away. It's just not there. And let me help you with something. Any form of so-called Christianity that claims following Jesus makes you healthy, wealthy, and wise is not biblical Christianity. It's not how it works. Here's what Jesus says, though. Take a look at John chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You see, Jesus is offering to shoulder your burden with you. That word yoke isn't typically a word that we would think of in our regular vernacular vocabulary. The idea is this, though. When, when two oxen plow a field to keep them together, to keep them on the same track, to allow them to accomplish more together than they could separately, uh, farmers would typically put a yoke on them. Think of it like a, a big piece of wood on their back with loops underneath it. Sometimes you go to like Western restaurants, they'll have them like hanging on the wall and stuff like that. But the idea is that you put the head of these oxen in there where they were connected by this wood on their back. They couldn't go their own way. They couldn't do their own thing. They could only pull together as a team. And Jesus says in verse number uh, 29, take my yoke upon you. Hey, I'm willing to shoulder your burden for you. How many of you ever gotten to see those uh, World's Strongest Man competitions they show on like ESPN2 at like 3 o'clock in the morning? But you see those big, huge guys that have that, the, the big cross beam here, big steel structure that they have with the weight plates on there, and they're just like taking one step at a time. My, my wife and I were watching that one time, and the, the, the sign up there said uh, 900 kilograms. She said, how much is that that they're carrying? I was just like, I'm terrible at math, but it's like close to 2,000 pounds. And she's like, what? And these guys that are built like larger than my refrigerator, right? Got these things on their back and they're carrying them. They're like, what does that have to do with anything? Those things are called yokes. Y-O-K-E, yoke. And the idea is that you have a burden placed on your back that you have to move with. Nobody sits, puts their oxen in a yoke to lay down and go to sleep. They're in there for work, for pushing forward for forward progress. And so Jesus says to you and I today, take my yoke upon you. I'm willing to link up with you. I'm willing to hook up with you and we can do this together as a team. If you can imagine being a farmer, you didn't always have two oxen that were the exact same size, exact same strength, exact same uh, ability to plow the field. So sometimes they would yoke them up together, an older one with a younger one or a bigger one than a smaller one. And let me just tell you, when it comes to yoking up with Jesus, it's not a fair partnership that we have. So that tells us he's willing to do the majority of the work on our part. He's willing to shoulder your burden. Whatever you're going through, he's willing to take it with you. Notice I said, take it with you, not from you. I'm trying to be really, really clear that whatever you're going through will not go away when you decide to follow Jesus and do it his way. I'm just telling you it's going to be a whole lot easier because he's taking the burden off of you and he's placing it on himself. All you got to do is walk beside him and stay connected to him. Man, what a great promise. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 7, says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. But here's the thing that you and I need to take what is ailing us, whatever is burdening us, and we need to place it on Jesus and let him have it. 
And if you're anything like me, you're super impatient. Sometimes I'll lay my burden down. Like, hey, I got this burden that I'm carrying. Jesus, I'm going to place it right here, and I'm going to let you have it. And I step back. Okay, you're not going to do anything with it. I got it again. Pick it back up. I'll take it. I'm impatient. You can't be that way. If Jesus is going to take your burden, you got to leave it with him. And again, you might not see great progress in the first 24 hours or 48 hours, but I'm telling you this, Jesus has promised to carry the load. Let him carry it. He's faithful like that. Take a look at verse number 29. Not only does he say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. You want to really have your burden lifted, get to know Jesus. Look at verse number 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus wants you to know him. This, this blows my mind. This idea makes my head want to explode of this. Jesus Christ, who the Bible says, spoke the world into existence. That everything consists because of Jesus' power. Jesus Christ, who always was God, will forever be God, became a man and dwelt in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse number 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ. He never stopped being God, but he did become a man. So he lived this earth 33 and a half or so years. He went to the cross, he suffered, he bled, he died, he rose again the third day victorious over sin, death, and the grave. While on here, he performed some of the greatest miracles man has ever seen. He said some of the greatest statements that have shaped the world that we live in today. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he sits beside the throne of God right now, and he's coming back one day. And what does he want? What does he want? He wants to know me. He wants me to know him. What? Like, God wants us, like, like Jesus, wants us to have a relationship, he and I? Yeah, he does. That, I don't, I don't grasp that. Like, I struggle to make friends because I'm socially awkward. <laughs> but Jesus wants to be my friend? Huh. That's helpful. You know why? Because when everybody else has turned their back on me, when other people have said hurtful things to me, when other people have abandoned me and left me, Jesus says, I just want to carry your load with you and be your friend. Wow. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. What a great thought. But here's the thing. Jesus wants you to know him because that's what's best for you. Jesus wants you to know him because the more that you know him, the more you'll trust him. And I can give him my burden and I can trust him completely because I know that he's faithful. I know that he's good. And so the more that you know Jesus, the more that you'll trust Jesus. The more that you know Jesus, the more your faith will grow. You can, you can believe more now that you've seen what God's done in the past. You've seen his faithfulness again and again and again and again. In times where you have not been faithful, he has always been faithful. And then your faith grows as you see that. The more that you know Jesus, the more that you'll love Jesus. Oh man, I'm telling you this. The more that you know him, the more that you'll love him. I remember my wife and I first started dating. It's so exciting those first few weeks. We're getting to know each other and telling stories and learning about their family and where she grew up and her schools that she went to, what the school mascot was and what sports she played and stuff like that. Great time getting to know her. And the more that I got to know her, the more that I loved her. Then there were times the more that I know her, the more frustrated I was. For example, we would go on dates, we'd go to the movies, we'd get popcorn, we'd get a, a soda, and we'd cross the barrier where we and I would share a soda in the movies. Like, whoo, things are really progressing, right? Sharing a soda, that's a big deal. And I went to take a drink of my soda, and the straw didn't work. And I look at the straw, and the top of the straw had been bitten so that it was flat. And I was just like, what happened to this straw? And she was like, I don't know, why? It doesn't work. And she looked at it and she was like, looks fine to me. What are you talking, the, the top of the straw is flat. It's supposed to be a circle. And she was like, oh, I bit it. Why would you bite the top of the straw? Ah, the movie was intense. What, <laughs> don't bite a straw? What, 
What's wrong? And, and then, you know this too, like after you bite something and you get a hole in the side of it, and you try to you straighten it out, you try to suck it up, it doesn't work because now there's a hole in the side, it's not coming out. And it's just like, I'm having to take the lid off and drink my soda. It's just like, this is so frustrating, right? And so, but here's the thing, all of that totally worth it to marry the woman, totally worth it, right? If that's the least of my problems, I'm blessed. But here's the thing, while I was getting to know her, there were certain things that I had to say, okay, I'm willing to let that go. When she met me, she said, there's a lot of things I'm willing to let go, right? I get it, grace. But here's the thing, the more that you know Jesus, there'll never be a time where you're like, uh, I don't really care for that, but I'm willing to overlook it. Because the more that you dig, the better Jesus gets. The more that you know Jesus, the more you want to know Jesus. The more that you know Jesus, the more that you'll love Jesus and appreciate Jesus. And to think that 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 creator God of the universe loves a sinner like me, who is rebellious, ugly, filthy, disgusting. He's chosen to love me despite my sin and extend to me, beautiful Bible word, grace. Undeserved, unmerited favor. God doesn't love you and I because we're lovely. (laughs) Man, I fell in love with my wife because she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. I was drawn to her magnetically. God doesn't love you because he's drawn to you magnetically. God knows how pathetic you are and chooses to love you anyways. Unless you think I'm trying to like put you down, I'm trying to show you that Jesus' invitation to come to him is not based on your own merit. Because sometimes people get the idea, well, I've been away from God too long, or I've been involved in sin, and I don't, I don't deserve to come to him. You never deserve to come to him anyways. But he still invites you. Whosoever will may come is what Jesus says. He wants you to know him. And look, it's one thing to know about Jesus, and it's another thing to know Jesus. You might know a lot of facts about Jesus. You might know the city he, was, he grew up in. You might know his parents' name. You might know some of the miracles he performed. You might even be able to name some of the people that walked with him or his disciples. You might even know that his birthday happens to be December the 25th. You know things about Jesus. That was a joke. His birthday isn't really December 25th. Anyways, now yet that was a courtesy laugh. That doesn't make me feel any better. So, <laughs> you know things about Jesus, but actually knowing Jesus, that's a totally different thing. Knowing Jesus means knowing who he is, wanting to please him, walking with him every day, talking with him throughout the day. It's totally different. That's what Jesus is asking you. I want you to learn of me. I want you to know me. I want us to be friends. But here's the thing. Nearness requires proximity. You got to be close to him. There's people who uh, come to who we call us sometimes on vacation. They're like, oh, uh, I listen to your podcast or uh, listen to you online or something like that. I read your website, read your bio on your website. And so people show up here, and they'll know things about me, like, oh, I heard you grew up in Kentucky. Oh, I heard you're in the Navy. Oh, I heard you got four kids. Oh, I heard you met your wife in Pensacola. You know stuff about me, but you don't know me. And Jesus doesn't want you to know stuff about him. He wants you to know him. And you say, well, what if I don't want to know him? That's part of the process of getting the peace that your soul craves is knowing Jesus. And so he's not just willing to just take your, your problems off your hands and let you walk away. He's willing to jump in with you in the work of life and to walk beside you and pull more than his weight because he loves you and he wants you to love him. But you see, Jesus isn't just offering a temporary escape. Jesus isn't just letting the pressure relief valve off so that you can now do your own thing. No, Jesus says, I want to be more than that. Again, I think taking some time off from work is good from time to time. I used to be anti-vacation, uh, not because I'm a hard charger or because I like to get stuff done, although that's the case. But I hated taking vacation because I would leave work for two weeks and I would come back and I've got all my work for the week and two weeks worth of work piled up on my desk. So now this week I get to get three weeks worth of work done because I took two weeks off. And it's just like totally not even worth it for me. I'd just rather stay and work. But it's important. You need to take some time off. Our, our family's taking some family vacation uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, time to get away, relax, you know, turn off the cell phone, stop checking email, and just enjoy life. You need to do that. But please, don't ever for a split second think that by taking some time off, your problems just go away. You've only found a temporary escape of your problems. Again, you can have a bad day and, and go to bed early at 7 o'clock. That's fine. But please understand, everything's going to be waiting for you tomorrow morning when you wake up. Sure, you can go out and buy yourself a new outfit or buy yourself a new car if you want to. 
But please understand, that doesn't make your problems go away. They're only temporary escapes from what permanently ails you. Jesus doesn't want to be a temporary escape for you. He's not. He's better than that. He's the solution to what ails you. He just doesn't modify your symptoms. And so Jesus says in verse number, uh, John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Do you hear that? I am the way, the truth. Here's what Jesus says I am. I'm the life. You don't know life until you know Jesus. You don't understand how good life is until you've walked with Jesus. That's where the good stuff is found. So Jesus doesn't want to be a temporary escape. He wants to give you rest in the depths of your soul. Again, take a look at verse number 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me from meek, lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus isn't trying to make your little workplace skirmish go away this week. Jesus isn't trying to get your kids to behave Jesus isn't trying to help you pay your bills. Jesus is trying to give you rest in the depths of your soul. Now, can Jesus help with all those other things? Definitely, no doubt about it. The Bible has the answer for everything that ails you in the world. But Jesus isn't looking for symptom relief. He's looking for the root of the problem. And so many times people come to Jesus for symptom relief, like, oh, our marriage is falling apart. I guess we should go to church. Oh, I went to church once and it didn't work. I think we'll quit on Jesus. No. Build your life around Jesus and then see what happens. You'll be shocked, absolutely shocked, how everything in life falls into place. You know, that's a pretty strong claim to make there, preacher. I didn't make it, Jesus did. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put Jesus first, do what he says, and you'll have everything that you want. Oh, I'll have a, a new car and a new hat. Those are not the things that you really want. You want peace and rest in the depths of your soul. That's what you want, and that's what Jesus offers. And so he's willing to give it to you. So, man, you think to yourself, like, hey, how do I have that peace? Where do I get that from? How can I have rest in my soul? First and foremost, you have to be willing to submit to the authority and lordship of Jesus. What does that even mean? You gotta be willing to say, Jesus is in charge from here on out. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, I'm willing to follow Jesus. I'm willing to kick the tires and see if this whole thing works out for me. But if it doesn't work, I think I'm just going to, you know, pull out and, and go do my own thing. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus is the boss going forward. Whatever he says to do, I'm just going to do it. We talked last week about lordship and how that means that Jesus is the boss and he calls the shots. You and I are the slaves. We just do what the master tells us to do. But you want peace? Get in the yoke. But please know this, if you yoke up with Jesus, you need to understand really quickly who's pulling the weight and who's setting the direction. It's not me, it's not you. If you say, oh, I'm not willing to do that, you'll never find rest in your soul then. You just won't. Please, by all means, go do your own thing and let me know how it works out. I have a feeling you'll be greatly disappointed. How do I know that? Because I've done it both ways. And I can stand here and tell you, God's ways are always best, 100% of the time. Not 90% of the time, 100% of the time, God's ways are always better than our ways. So just be willing to submit to his authority and his lordship. Part of that means the willingness to make what's right between you and God. The Bible says we've all sinned, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you hear nothing out of today's message, you need to get what I'm going to talk about in the next two minutes here. All of us have sinned against a holy God. And please understand this, God is keeping score. He doesn't forget anything. And because God is just, means everything will be held accountable for. You're on the hook for everything, 100%. So you've sinned against God, I have too. We owe God a great debt. What's the debt that we owe? The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. You're gonna die one day, and it's not over after that. Like, whoo, death. No, it's just the beginning. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You'll stand before a holy God one day, and you'll give an account of your life. And I'm not sure exactly how it's all gonna work, but God already knows who's getting to heaven and who's not. I don't know if he's gonna ask you why you're going to heaven, but the only appropriate answer is Jesus has paid my debt. 
There will be no scale in heaven to weigh your good versus your bad to determine whether or not you get in. That won't be there. And, and pleading for your church membership or your church attendance or any of these other things to get you into heaven will never work for you in 100 years. But here's the fact of the matter. You owe God a debt. The only way you can make it right is to die and spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's what death is. The second death, Revelation chapter 20. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. And if I'm going to do it on my own, then that's what I'm going to pay. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Jesus came not to give you a better life or to make your problems go away. Jesus came to die for your sins. That's the number one problem that you have. You might say, that's not the number one problem I have. The number one problem I have is rent. No, it's not. I promise you. Because when this world is over, and it will be soon, here's something to think about. You might not be here next year for our nine-year anniversary because you're already dead in the ground somewhere. Think about that for a second. None of us are promised tomorrow. And you guys might be showing a video and say, hey, I remember a pastor before he had a heart attack and died. I remember a pastor before he got hit by a bus and died. I don't have a promise of tomorrow. So you need to be ready to stand before God. And you owe God for your sins, unless someone can pay for you. I can't pay for your sins. I've got my own sins I have to pay for. This church cannot pay for your sins. No church in the world can pay for your sins. There has to be someone who would come who would never break God's law, live a perfectly sinless life, and would be willing to be punished in your place. Oh, man, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came. He was born of a virgin. He walked this earth for 33 years, performing lots of miracles, but asking people to come to him. And he died in my place and in your place and paid for our sins in full. I was supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished instead. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God. Jesus endured the wrath of God in my place. And anyone who would come to him, he's already told you, he's not going to turn anybody away. But you have to be willing to come to Jesus in faith and repentance. I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, and I'm willing to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus to be saved. It's a good Bible word, saved. You can't go to heaven unless you're saved. Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No two ways about that. If you're not saved, you're not going to heaven, period. So the question is, have you been saved? Has there been a time, a day, a place in your life where you accepted Christ as Savior, where you believed the gospel and turned from your sin and turned to Jesus? If not, make that day today. And you need to be saved. You'll never find rest in your soul if you're not saved, if you're at odds with God, guaranteed Secondly, follow his plan. Again, if he's the boss, if he's the Lord, if he's in charge, just do what he says. Follow the plan that he has laid out for you. And say, well, I don't know what the plan is. Oh, good, that's why you've got a pastor to help you. I'll give you a really short version. You want to find peace and rest in the depths of your soul? Do this. Read your Bible every day. Not for information, but for application. God, what do you want me to do? Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Talk to God. Tell him what's going on with you. Unload every single day. When you mess up, repent. Make it right before God every single day. Be in church every single time the doors are open. Every single time, without fail, make it a part of your lifestyle of that's just what you do. That you're the type of person that if you're not in church, we're wondering where you're at because you're always here. Be that type of person. And sometimes people in the past say, well, you've got to say that. You're a pastor. You've got to say that because you're worried about church attendance. Hey, look, I don't, I don't, frankly, don't give a rip about church attendance. I really don't. Oh, what, we want to fill up this building so what, we can go get another one? Please, that's the last thing in the world I want to do. Oh, you want to have three services on a Sunday morning. You think I want to do this three times on Sunday morning and once on Sunday night? You're crazy. I'm not trying to fill up a building. I'm trying to help you find rest for your soul. I'm telling you this. God's people are the best way to find that. Next, surround yourself with Christian friends, solid Christian friends. Not some guy who's an alcoholic living with his girlfriend and has a cross tattoo on his forearm that you're going to call a Christian. I'm talking about real deal, solid Christians that they live their life because of Jesus Christ. Difference. So, surround yourself with those tough people. And again, that's just kind of the short list. 
follow Jesus every day for the rest of your life? I mean, like, I, I can go on if you want to. That's kind of the basic. That's the path. And I find often that Christians that are struggling to find the peace that they need aren't in the Word the way that they should be. If you're struggling, you need relief psalms every day, all day. There's so much help in the psalms. I find Christians that are struggling generally aren't praying the way that they should. Christians that are struggling to find peace usually have some type of unconfessed sin in their life, something they haven't made right. Sometimes it's just a sin of apathy, anger, bitterness towards God. I don't know. Oftentimes they're not attending church or together with God's people. They're hanging out with the wrong crowd. There's a negative influence in them. I don't know. I'm just giving you some ideas of following God's plan that he has for your life. And just, hey, he's the boss. Whatever he tells you to do, I'm just going to do it. Next. Let him handle the weight of the burden. Just let him handle it. Jesus says, how many of you, by worrying, can add one inch to your height? Nothing. He's basically saying worry is useless. Give him the burden. Let him handle it. My daughter, McKeeley, was in the hospital earlier this year. She was at um, Kapiolani Hospital. She was uh, in the ICU for a week and then three weeks after that. She had a really strange blood disease or uh, infection. Basically caused a blood clot in her carotid artery. And it was so infected that they didn't want the clot to break because then the infection was spread to the rest of her body into her lungs and stuff like that. So they're trying to keep the blood clot from breaking up. And super infected. She was uh, in septic shock. I mean, it was some absolute mess. They had her on 17 bags of medication. They didn't know what was going to work because they didn't know what it was. They were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at it. You talk about a time where, you know, you got a lot of questions. You know, my wife and I did. We prayed. We fasted. Only one of us could be at the hospital at the time. You know what the other one did? Went home and slept. Oh, weren't you worried? Not really. Look, when they told me the disease she had, I Googled it. Honestly, to this day, I can't even spell what it was because that's how much time I spent researching it. Good old WebMD gave me the top five symptoms that the doctor already told me. Big shocker. I had some friends in our church that are healthcare professionals. I called them and said, hey, this is what we got. This is what we're looking at. <laughs> and one of our men says, there's a doctor at Kapilani. If you can get her, she's the best infectious disease doctor in the United States. Like she flies everywhere and consults. If you could get her to look at her blood work, that would be the first place to start. I said, what's your name? He told me her name. I was like, that's already her doctor. Like there's absolutely, literally nothing I can do at this point. It's 100% up to Jesus. And so we prayed. That was it. My wife and I went to the cafeteria. They got a Starbucks there. It's open 24 hours. Good to know. Sat there, drank coffee. Then you got a chocolate chip cookie and asked him to heat it up. Man, it was good. So your doctor, your, your daughter's in ICU with 17 bags hooked up to her. Don't know if she's going to live or die and you're out there drinking coffee and eating chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. You know why? Because I'm not carrying the weight of this. I can't. There's literally nothing I can do to make this situation any better. But Jesus has all the answers, so I'm just going to let him carry the burden. That's what I mean by unloading yourself from that. And finally, trust the process. Again, you're, if you're looking for something that's going to make your problems go away by the afternoon, you just got to trust the process. It's not going to work that way. Again, I believe, I truly believe this because I've seen it and it's a promise from the Bible that when you give your burdens to the Lord, like really give it to your, the Lord, and you like unload and let him have it, and you really believe that he's got it, you'll be a little bit lighter. Will your problems disappear? No, that's never promised anyways. You should be a little bit lighter. You should be able to get a decent night's sleep. You shouldn't have, you know, ulcers because you're super worried and stressed out about this. You're, you're not going to have immediate relief because there's a process that you have to walk through, but you should be a little bit lighter knowing that your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need before you ever even ask. To know that Jesus has promised to carry this load with you and give you rest in your souls. Promise. But you've got to trust the process. <laughs> Again, you get somebody who signs up for a gym membership on January 1st, they go to the gym twice and they didn't see any results. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You've got to stick at it, you know. They say that Physiologic, noticeable physiological change requires 90 days of consistency. 
like working out and making a fitness plan. It's like 90 days. They say the majority of people quit in less than three weeks. So you need to put in three months to see the work pay off, but most people only put in three weeks. I've seen that happen so many times with people in Jesus. Boyfriend breaks up with him, they go to church, don't feel any better after a week or two, and then go bounce to another relationship somewhere. It's just like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. Oh, I lost my job, I don't know what's going to happen. They come to, to church for a couple of weeks, and they get a job, or they don't, and they just split because they got what they needed. Jesus doesn't want to be that for you. He's not a 911 that you call an event of emergency. He's yoked up together with you, and wherever you go, he goes. And wherever he leads, you follow. That's how this whole thing works. But it's a process. Sometimes people look at my life and say, oh, no, Pastor, I wish I could you know, be in my Christian walk where you are. <laughs> First of all, you've greatly underestimated the struggles that I deal with. Nobody's perfect. But secondly, you need to understand that I got where I'm at two plus decades of walking with Jesus every single day for two decades. And look, I'm not even where I need to be. I hope that you can follow me while I follow Jesus, but please understand, I'm not the epitome of what a Christian should look like. I got growth to do. And you need to be really careful too because you can look across a room like this this morning and think to yourself like, I totally don't fit in here. Like everybody here has it together. You are greatly mistaken. Here's what you should do if you really believe that to be so. Find the person that you think has it all together. Like the epitome of what Christian should look like. And say to them, hey, I was watching you, and I think you look like the perfect example of what a Christian should be. Tell me how I become a perfect Christian like you. And see what they say. <laughs> I feel they'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. perfection, not even remotely close. Because everybody's struggling with something. Everybody has a burden, and they're either carrying it themselves or Jesus is carrying it for them. Period, end of story. All of us crave the rest for our souls, and there's only one source of it, and his name's Jesus. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you'll never find rest and peace until you find Jesus as your Savior. So if today you're unsure about what would happen to you when you die, there'll be an opportunity at the end of the service for you to put your faith in Jesus. But for those of us that call ourselves Christians, are you walking with Jesus? Or are you trying to do it solo? Maybe there's sin in your life that's robbing your peace. You cannot rebel against Jesus and have the peace of God. It doesn't work that way. And if you decide to yoke up with Jesus and decide to try to go your own way, I don't know if you've seen how the yokes work. It's actually a, a steel ring that goes around there. If you try to run from the other ox, you're going to strangle yourself. <laughs> so you're welcome to try to go your own way. It's only going to hurt you in the end. Because Jesus says, I got this. Just trust me. I got this. But God's ways are always best. I promise you that. You're tired? Me too. You got some burdens? Man, me too. Do you feel overwhelmed with burdens at times? Sign me up for that club. I could be the chairman. But does Jesus offer the rest that our souls desire? 100% of the time he does if you're willing to give it to him. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.